Do you believe in the imminent return of Jesus that he could come to take us to be with him at any moment in time? I have a friend that stops by on Wednesday mornings in our office, and we have a chance to visit. He came in a little while ago, and we had a chance to talk, and he told me about uh, his, his daughter his, uh, has cancer. And as she is sharing this information with me, and as we're talking, my mind immediately went to this text and this idea that one day Jesus is going to come. He's going to return, and he's going to take and make all of these things new again. There's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth, and we're going to be with Jesus, and we're going to live in glorified bodies. And that's the reality of our faith. Are you looking forward to that? Are you anticipating that? Or is it just something that's just way out there? Maybe you're a young person. It's just, it's just so far out there. I've got all of these other things to do in my life. The reality is one day the Bible says that Jesus is going to return. And, and what I want to do is, is I begin this morning. So I, I want to remind us of, of why we're in this series, Contending for the Faith. We were at a pastor's uh, a meeting a week or so ago, and there's a young person there that kind of grew up here, and we know who he is, and uh, Diana and I were there, and Susan was there, and this young person came up, and I, I said, it is so good to see a young person actively involved in the faith and coming to things like this so that um, they can be encouraged and built up in the faith, and I said, it's great to see a young person. He said, yeah. He made the comment, so many of my friends have walked away from their faith. There's a young person. And, and he's saying, so many of my friends, many people that I know who, who actually grew up in the church of what they have walked away from, the faith. And so what I want to do is this, I, I want to look at this series, Contend for the Faith, because you and I have a responsibility to know God's Word, to embrace God's Word, and to live out God's Word in such a way that people see that we're actually different. Are there foundational issues in our lives to which we are willing to hang on to? The authority of God's word. We build our life on the authority of God's word. We contend for the faith. We contend for the authority of God's word. We contend for the unique person of Jesus Christ. Life, death, burial, and resurrection. That becomes a foundational marker in our lives. The idea that there is a heaven, that there is a hell, that for those of us in Christ, we're going to spend eternity with Jesus. For those outside of Christ, they're going to spend eternity away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. One day there's going to be justice in the presence of Jesus. And also the foundation that in this life there is pain and suffering. That's the reality of living in a broken world. There is pain and suffering. And we need to build our lives on the foundations of all of those truths as opposed to pushing them aside and saying, well, we don't really have an understanding from God's word how all those things relate to in our life. Listen, it's okay for us to have questions about our faith. It's okay for us to question certain things in the Bible. It's okay to do that. I would encourage you to do that. Thomas said, listen, I'm not going to believe in the resurrection of Jesus until I touch his hands, until I see him. It's okay to have those doubts in our life. But what we need to do is we need to make sure we come to the authority of God's word and remember that God's word provides that absolute solid foundation for which we need to build our lives on for the rest of how we would live day in and out. They are the building blocks of our lives. Is life messy? Absolutely it is messy. It is hard. It is difficult. But just because it's hard and just because it's difficult doesn't mean we're just going to throw everything away and find some other worldview to embrace and to follow our life. Listen, the Apostle Paul didn't have it all figured out. 
life didn't go absolutely 100% well for him. He was given a thorn in the flesh. He had this revelation from God. He was given this thorn in his flesh, this messenger from Satan. Three times he asked the Lord to take it away, and God didn't do it. I'm sure he had some questions. God, what are you doing here? Why are you going? Why are you allowing this to happen in my life? And yet he didn't wreck his faith. God said to him in response to that, my grace is sufficient for me, for you. In other words, I'm going to give you grace and mercy no matter what you're going through in life. At times we struggle, at times we don't know exactly what to do, but we don't have to throw it all away. You and I have been called to contend for the once-for-all faith given to us. So there's another issue that people who walk away, they call it deconstructing their life, deconstructing their faith. There's, a, there's another issue that people who want to dis, uh, deconstruct their life wrestle with. It's the idea of the return of Jesus Christ. They call it end times hype. They, they begin to say, well, you know what? Ever since the Bible, people have been waiting for and anticipating this time when Jesus will return. So here it is some 2,000 years later, and he hasn't returned yet. So I'm fairly certain that there is no return of Jesus Christ. It's not going to happen. Or maybe they say, when you look at the history of the church, people are always predicting the day and the hour and the time when Jesus is going to return. So they use all of these kind of thoughts and excuses for saying, this is all we have. There is nothing beyond the ground. Jesus Christ is not going to return. That's the conclusion that they come. As we saw last week, John 3, 16, John 14, Jesus says this. There is life after death. We have something to anticipate. We have something to look forward to, a great and grand and glorious future with Jesus forever and ever. And one day, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 21 says, verse 21, 7 says this, that one day we are all going to stand before God and give an account for our life. Notice what the, the writer to Hebrews says, just as it is destined for a man to die once and after that, after, after death comes judgment, you and I will all stand before a holy God and give an account for time, talent, and treasure, the way that we lived. Are you ready for that day? Are we living in such a way that there's a a godly urgency for wanting to walk in obedience to God, wanting to tell people about Jesus, want to live with this framework being alert and watching and praying for the time when Jesus would return and take us to be with him? We know it's imminent. We know it's going to come. Are we ready for that? James chapter 4 talks about the brevity of life. The half-brother of Jesus knows what, what James writes. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. What, what James is writing in James chapter 1, James 2, in the book of James, is that life is but a mist. But if you will orient your life, if you will follow Jesus, if you will do the things, one day in the future, James chapter 1, verse 12, there is this crown of life. In other words, there's something beyond the here and the now. So what do we need to do? We need to persevere. We need to hang in there. We need to run through the trials and the tribulations. We need to grab onto the bar, hang on to Jesus, look to Jesus, because he will one day return. And so we have a text this morning that's actually given to encourage us to build us up in the faith, to comfort us about people who have died and about one day Jesus coming back and returning. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 says this, Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed about those who have fallen asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. One of the sure promises of the Bible is that one day Jesus is going to return and I'm going to live forever ever and ever in the presence of Jesus and the glory of who he is. And I'm going to have a new body. We're going to live in a new earth. 
a new heavens, and all of this is going to be at our disposal because of our absolute faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And, and what Paul is doing in writing to this church at Thessalonica, Timothy has come to him and given him a report. What, what he's doing, he's writing to inform the people. He's writing to encourage them. He's writing to exhort them. He's writing to build them up with these words. As a matter of fact, when you look at the end of this passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18, it says this, Therefore, what? Encourage each other with these words. So what we have is we have this message of encouragement. We have this message of comfort from the Apostle Paul to the church at Thessalonica about someone who's died, people in the midst who've died, and they're having these questions going, but, but what, what, what about this person who's died in their midst? Is he going to miss the return of Jesus? Is he going to miss being with Jesus? Is something going to happen? And what Paul is saying, listen, I want to encourage you. I want to build you up. I want to exhort you. I want you to look forward to anticipate the time that I'm going to return and be with you. So let's just walk through the text. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning verse 13. Paul says, listen, I want you to be informed. I want you to be informed. I want you to be informed about what? About death. About death. Listen, nothing, nothing rocks our world more than death. There is an incredible sense of loss. A person can never be replaced. You can't just get over it. You can't just pray it away. You can't simply just forget. When we experience loss, we are racked to our very core, and it leaves us confused and asking hard questions. And it doesn't matter who you are, you've probably experienced it. I follow a guy by the name of Andy Sandoval. He's a motorcycle guy, and he just, he does a lot for his community. He doesn't just ride motorcycles, but he raises a lot for veterans, and he just shared an 18-minute video And I watched it. For 18 minutes, he talked about the loss of his father. This big, burly, manly man rides a Harley motorcycle, weeping because he'd be experiencing the loss of his father. And it racked his life and touched him dearly. That's what death does. But notice what Paul does in verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. Paul uses this kind of euphemism for death. Lazarus has fallen asleep. In the book of Acts, Stephen, when he death, remember he died a brutal death. He was stoned to death. And, and the writer Luke describes his death as falling asleep. And what Paul did, he's not trying to soften the blow of death so that, well, you know what? We don't like to talk about death. And what we don't is we don't want to mention it. So we're just going to kind of ignore it. He's, he's not doing that at all. He's hitting it head on. And he says, listen, I want to teach you about the reality of death, and that there is life after death. You're going to spend it in one or two places, in the presence of the Lord, you're going to spend it away from the presence of the Lord, John 3.16. And I think that one of the reasons that Paul is writing this after receiving this information from Timothy is this, that the, the people living at that time, and Jesus had instructed them that Jesus is one day going to return. He, they, they knew that he was going to come back at some point in time, so they lived to this eminent understanding that one day Jesus is going to come. He's going to return and take it to be with him. And they lived with that expectation. There's this, this understanding that they're going to be with Jesus. But probably maybe because of persecution or maybe because of some of the things that were going on, people in their midst had died, people in their congregation had died. And they began to think, are, are they going to miss out on something? Are, are they going to miss the return of Jesus? Are they going to miss out on something important? So they had these questions to Timothy. And Timothy, we want you to ask Paul, and Paul is responding to these things. 
So, so he's directing their attention to, to maybe some things that are, are going on here that we need to inform you about, about death and what's going to happen. But I think there's a second reason that Paul is writing this. It's about, it's about the grieving process. It's about the manner in which we grieve. Their grieving was not to be given to a point of hopelessness or despair or a giving up on life. Their instruction was to grieve, but to grieve with an understanding that it's going to be okay. He, he doesn't say, listen, don't grieve. Don't stuff your emotions. Don't stuff your loss in there. Don't pretend you have this piety, you have this understanding of Jesus that everything is going to be all right, and I can lock away my emotions deep down inside of me and just say, thank you, Lord, I'm going to get through this. Not the way he says it. He says, listen. Don't grieve as like people who have no hope of the future and despair. There's a, a, a guy by the name of Ernie Johnson. I'm sure that uh, my friend Michael knows who he is. He's a, he's a basketball guy, an ESPN guy. He does um, stuff for basketball. And uh, 33 years ago, they adopted a, a, a young man from Romania who had muscular dystrophy. So for 33 years, this guy uh, suffered from a rare form of muscular dystrophy. And he, and he just died last week, 33 years. And Ernie Johnson, in describing his death, talked about this. He says, we are crushed, crushed by his death. But we are not in despair because we know that one day we will see him again. We know that one day we will see him again. In other words, listen, we're we're crushed. Life is really, really difficult. But we know that because of our faith, because of our trust in Jesus, we are going to be with Jesus one day in the future. And then he says, and that sustains us. That's what sustains us in the midst of pain and suffering, in the midst of difficulties and challenges. What sustains us is this idea that Jesus has gone before us. He was resurrected from the dead, and we too will be resurrected from the dead. And there's no doubt, I would imagine, what Paul is confronting. Some of what I believe we see nowadays, this new atheism. The new atheism says this, Christopher Hitchens and Samuel. They say, listen, today, the only thing that we have is what we have here and now. There is nothing beyond the grave. And by the way, they would probably say that we as Christians are a danger to society. And there's no doubt Paul was probably confronting that mindset, paganism, Greek culture of the time when he's writing us to the people of Thessalonica. Here's a couple of inscriptions that they found. This is one of their, their, their philosophers. I don't know, Epictetus or, or whatever, but, but they develop a saying based upon his philosophy. And this is what it says. I was not, I was, I am not, I care not. In other words, all all that we have is what we have here. My my, my life is not fearfully and wonderfully made. I just happen to be here. I'm going to die and there's nothing else. And by the way, I don't care about anything. There's a Roman poet who said this. Contemporary paganism was too often viewed as a sleep from which there was no awaking. In in other words, you're going to die and then that's it. You're just going to go into the grave and there's nothing beyond the grave. They actually found a inscription in a pagan tomb in Thessalonica that said this, after death, there is no revival. After the grave, no meaning of those who have loved each other on earth. How does that sound to you? Make you feel good? Does it make you question your life, the way that you're living, and this idea that one day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account for my life, that one day I'm going to see Jesus for who he is, that one day I'm going to live in eternity. It doesn't matter if you're 5, 10, 15, 20, 25. 
as James says, life is but a mist. Life is but a vapor. We don't know tomorrow what will happen. But are we living in such a way that we're alert to who Jesus is and what he would have? And what Paul says, listen, I want you to be informed about those who have passed away. But he continues on with this word of encouragement, this wonderful words of comfort, verse 14. Notice what he says in verse 14. It says this. It's the essence of the Christian faith. There's, there's a rock-solid foundation of which we build our lives in, and it is this. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 14 says, We believe that Jesus died and rose again. That is the bottom line of our Christian faith. It's, it's a guy by the name of Frank Turek who is with cross-examined ministries, who's an apologist, who debates all of the big guys. I, I like the way that he summarized it. He says, listen, if a guy comes back from the dead, I'm listening for him. That's the way that I feel. If Jesus has come back from the dead, then I'm going to listen to him. And, and notice again what he wrote. He says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so, in other words, because Jesus died and he rose again, there are implications for my life. Death, burial, and resurrection. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. In other words, one follows the other. Jesus died on the cross, and three days later he was raised from the dead. The implication is that if I put my faith and my trust in him, I too am going to rise from the dead. That's the implication for the test. And notice in verse 14 what he does. He says, we believe that who died? Not Christ, not the Lord, but what? The Savior Jesus died. In other words, there's something significant about the death of Jesus. It was a death for sin. Jesus is our Savior who went to the cross and offered himself as a sacrifice for sin so that we will face no condemnation in the future. And if I'm building my life on the rock-solid foundation of who Jesus is and what he means, it means this, that, that my life is enveloped with Jesus. That his death becomes my death on the cross. In, in, in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, it talks about my life is, is actually hidden with Jesus. Colossians 3, I, I memorized this because I thought it was so incredibly important when we were going through the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians says this, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. My life, because of who Jesus is, is wrapped up in him. Life, death, burial, resurrection. His death is my death on the cross. And now I have the privilege and the honor of being hidden in Christ. I'm protected in Jesus. In the midst of all the pain and suffering of life. Isn't that awesome? What are you going through today? What are you struggling with? Your life is hidden with Christ. And if, and if Jesus has been risen from the dead, power over death, then whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, whatever difficulties and challenges you are going through at this particular point can be met by the God who resurrects the dead. That should give us comfort in life. Those should give us words of encouragement. The death of Lazarus. Remember what Jesus said to, to Mary and Martha? Beautiful words. John chapter 11 says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me 
will never die. Do you believe this? The question we would ask ourselves is, do you believe this? Do you believe in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that his death was for you and for me? And that because of my ultimate faith and trust in Jesus, I'm going to live forever with him. See, Paul says, listen, I want you to be informed. I want you to be assured about what's going on. So where are these people who have fallen asleep? Look at verse 14. It says, God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. Well, chapter 5, verse 10 says this. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. What Jesus did is he comes and he says, listen, I want you to put your faith and trust in me. John chapter 14. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you because I want to be with you. I want us to have this relationship that extends beyond this life into eternity. I'm going to be on a throne. There's going to be worship. But I want you to be with me. There's this extension of this relationship that goes beyond the here and now. Beyond what we see and experience and touch right now. Do you realize in, in an absolute twinkle in the eye, your, your life can radically be different and changed? Like, like that. You and I can enter into the very presence of God. D.L. Moody, who started that Bible school, he said something that I've never forgotten. This is what he said. One day you will hear that D.L. Moody of Northfield, Massachusetts is dead. Don't you believe it? In that day, I will be more alive than I have ever been. He knew that when he went into the absolute presence of the Lord, he would be more alive than he ever was on this earth. Because one day, you and I, all of us, one day we're going to be with Jesus and we are going to be with him forever and ever because of our ultimate faith and trust in Jesus. So what's happening here? What, what is sleeping? Their bodies are sleeping. Their bodies are in the grave. Their bodies are waiting for it to be resurrection. They are with the Lord. They are in the presence of the Lord because 2 Corinthians talks about absent with the body, I am home with the Lord. Jesus said to the man on the cross that we looked at last week, to the, uh, the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. When we leave this earth, we go into the very, very presence of God and our bodies go down into the earth. And we wait for that day, that time, when one day our bodies are going to be resurrection. So, so what, is, what is Paul doing here? People have some questions about death. Are, they gonna, are, are, are these people who have died, are they going to miss something? And so, listen, I, want, I want you to be informed. I want you to be assured. In verses 15 to 17, he says, I want you to be affirmed this is going to happen. That one day Jesus is going to return. There is a plan. There is a purpose. And that's what he does in verses 15. He kind of outlines this, this idea that one day Jesus, the imminent return of Jesus, just around the corner. It could happen today. It could happen tomorrow. It's right here. It's close to us. And what he wants to do is he wants to affirm them that God has a plan for the return of Jesus. What does it look like? Let's just kind of walk through this and see what... The, the word of God, what Paul and Jesus would refer to us about this eminent return of Jesus. We would call this a pre-tribulational rapture of Jesus. So look at verse 15. It says this, According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. That's one of the strongest negative statements in the Bible. Absolutely, certainly not. These people who've gone before us, absolutely, certainly not will proceed. Those of us who still remain. And notice what he says. The dead in Christ will ride first. They're going to go first. Take comfort in knowing what will happen. 
at the return of Jesus, the Bible says this, that these dead in Christ, they're going to come back to life. Their bodies are going to come back to life. That's the first part. But notice the second part. There's another assurance. Jesus himself is going to be involved in this. Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. In the book of Acts, it says that when Jesus ascended into heaven, they watched him. They watched him go up into heaven. And the Bible says that one day Jesus is going to return in the same way. We're going to watch and see him return to earth in a mighty and powerful way. This same Jesus, Acts chapter 1, verse 11, who has been taken away from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Think about it. At some point in the future, God the Father is going to respond And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to rise from his throne where he is seated. He's going to pass through the arches of glory, pass through the altar of incense, pass through the prayers of all the saints, pass through all the living creatures who are gathered around the throne worshiping night and day. He's going to summon a great archangel to accompany him. And he's going to cross that great chasm between heaven and earth. He's going to return to earth and he's going to break back everything, and he's going to come back one day, and we are going to see him return to earth. It's not going to be like the baby. It's not going to be like the baby in the manger. It's not going to be anything like that. There's not going to be any, any need for shepherds to announce the arrival. There's not going to need for any of that. One day Jesus is going to return, and every eye is going to see him as he returns to earth. C.S. Lewis said this, uh, a philosopher and writer. He said this, when the author walks onto the stage, the play is over. That's what's going to happen. One day Jesus is going to return himself, and we have his word. Look at the gospels. Look at the teaching of Jesus over and over. He says, watch and pray. One day I'm going to return. So we have this idea that the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and then Jesus himself is going to return. And notice what else that happens in verse 16. There's a loud command. A loud command. You ever wonder what that loud command is going to be when Jesus returns? I have no idea what it is. What's he going to say? There's a man by the name of uh, George Fisher, and he was teaching at a, a college in West Africa. And as he was teaching some of the students, they asked him about this text, and they asked him what the loud command was. They said, I, I would like to know what the loud command will be. And the, the Reverend Fisher, he said he just he just wanted to kind of blow by it because the Bible doesn't say there's, there's no information that we have. It's not clear. But he says that then he began to remember all the people that he interacted with and all the people, the, the West Africans who had, been, who had been persecuted for their faith and all these people who had suffered in West Africa suffered immensely because of the Christian faith. He was reminded of the bloodshed and the brutality that they all experienced because of this. And so when the guy asked him one more time, sir, what will that command be? This is what he said. Maybe enough. Enough. Not enough persecution. Enough death. Enough pain. Enough suffering. Enough of all this. Maybe the word, the command is it is enough. And Jesus is going to return. There's going to be this command. The Bible said that the dead in Christ are going to go first. Jesus himself is going to return. It's going to be the command. And notice in verse 16, it says this. There's an angel that's going to speak. An angel is going to speak. It says the voice of the archangel. What do angels do? Aren't they God's messengers? 
sent out for those who will inherit salvation? In other words, angels have this fascination with salvation. In Luke chapter 15, it says they rejoice when one person comes and acknowledges faith. In 1 Peter chapter 3, it talks about angels are always longing to look into this idea of salvation, of people's lives being changed. And maybe we don't know who it is, but maybe Michael is going to return and he's heard the saints. He's heard all of these cries. He's heard the martyrs in heaven saying, how long, Lord, how long, Lord, how long until you return? Maybe it's going to be him that's going to come, the voice of the archangel. Verse 16, it continues on. The author of Paul is just building on the return of Jesus. Verse 16, there's another voice. And it came, notice what it says in verse 16, and he will come with a loud trumpet call of God. You look at trumpet in the Old Testament, and the the trumpet had a purpose. It was a call to action. It was a call that that, that God's going to do something, that God's going to show up, that God's going to do something mighty and powerful. The people gather about Sinai, Exodus chapter 19. The people gather and there's a trumpet and the people are trembling because God is showing up. The presence of God is there. And now we have this trumpet call of God. He's going to return to take us to be with him. That's a wonderful, wonderful reminder that this isn't all there is. That one day Jesus is going to return and all of this is going to change. That there is a future a new heaven and a new earth with new bodies and all of that wonder and all of that beauty. And I need to be careful that I don't get so wrapped up in the here and now in my life and my purposes and my plans that I forget that God has called me to be a light to the world, that there are people who are separated from Jesus and they're not going to experience this unless we have the courage and the boldness to tell them about Jesus. And the Bible says that one day Jesus is going to return. One man said this, the immense step from the babe at Bethlehem to the living, reigning, triumphant Lord Jesus, returning to earth for his own people, that is the glorious truth proclaimed throughout Scripture. And as the bells ring out the joys of Christmas, may we also be alert for the final trumpet that will announce his return when we shall always be with the Lord. Are you looking forward to that day? Are you anticipating that time? Over and over the Bible says, watch and pray, anticipating the time when Jesus is going to be with us. So Paul says, listen, the dead in Christ, they're going to go first. Jesus himself is going to return. There's going to be a loud command. There's going to be all of these things going on. And notice what he says in verse 16, the dead in Christ will rise first. That's these people who passed away. If the question of the people is, is what's going to happen with these people who die? We don't know what's going on. They're going to miss out on something. Notice what he says, the dead in Christ are going to ride first. In other words, these people who die, they're going to experience a bodily resurrection. They're going to be reunited with their bodies. And there's this longing that takes place. Second Corinthians talks about this. When we are separated from our bodies, there's actually a longing because we're not complete. We're not the way that God created us to be. There's this separation. And 2 Corinthians talks about this longing of wanting to be clothed with our bodies. And that's going to happen here. They're going to experience this wonderful, beautiful, glorious body. Remember the text that I read? We will be like him, Colossians chapter 3, this glorious body. So what does that mean? It means I'm going to be radically different. And you're going to be radically different. You know, for us who are fairly healthy, probably doesn't mean a whole lot. But if you've got a broken body and you've suffered for much of your life in a painful way, one day you're going to experience this glorious body 
that's going to be radically, radically different. This 33-year-old that I mentioned, um, Ernie Johnson's son, who suffered for 33 years from muscular dystrophy. One day, his body is going to be resurrected, and guess what? He's going to have an entirely different body. It's going to be a glorious, wonderful body one day when Jesus returns. And notice what it says, verse 17. And after that, we who are still alive on our lap will be caught up together to meet them in the clouds. One day, if we're alive and remaining, one day if Jesus is to come back, we're going to be gathered together. We're going to meet together in the clouds. We're going to all return to be with Jesus all going to be returned to be with Jesus. And all of us are going to be together in that place called heaven, if you will. This rapture, this violent catching away, if you means that I'm going to be seized, I'm going to be carried off into glory. There's this violent seizing away where I am raptured to be with the Lord. And I'm going to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. And I'm going to be drawn away from all of the muck and the crud and the pain and the suffering of this world. Because we're going to be forever with the Lord. And so what Paul is doing is Paul's encouraging the people. He's saying, listen, this isn't all that you see and experience. One day in the future, I am going to return. I'm going to return to take you with me. There's going to be a radical change of those who've gone before us, those who are in the grave. We are all going to be together. And one day, one day if you're on this earth, when I return, we're going to be gathered together, and we're going to meet together, and we're going to return back to heaven. And so how does he end this? He ends this with the application of verse 17 and 18. Notice what it says. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Think about their reunion. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about all of these witnesses. You realize there's never been a time when all of God's people have been together. There's this future event, this future time, when we are all going to be together with the Lord, worshiping Him forever and ever in glorified bodies. That's the promise that we have. That's the words of comfort that we have. That's why Ernie Johnson can say we are crushed, but what sustains us is the idea that one day we will see him again. We will see my son again. And we hear stories of people who've gone before us. And I hear stories of people who've gone before us at Hope Church. We go to the mission field, and I see people from Bolivia, and we support missionaries, and missionaries come back, and they give us a report of how people are putting their faith and their trust in Jesus, and a lot of times we have no idea who these people are. One day we're going to be in heaven, and all of that will be unveiled to us. That's why we support missionaries. That's why we do this, because there are people all over the world who need to hear about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me ask, are you waiting for that? Are you anticipating that? Maybe there should be a sense of urgency. Maybe there should be a sense of of, of shaking us up a little bit, finding comfort and exhortation in this word, encouragement, knowing that I need to be about a task. You have family members, friends who are going to miss this? One day that's all going to change. You may be here. You may be taken up. They may be left here. Have we... Have we done the best that we can to communicate the claims of Jesus to those who do not know him? Or am I so wrapped up in my life that I've forgotten this? Verse 14 is the key to everything. It says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. All of what we have talked about this morning is based upon the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the focal point. That is the foundation for what we do and how we live. You find comfort in that? You find comfort in knowing that one day Jesus is going to return to take us to be with him? So let me just close with an illustration. This is from Tim Keller, and I thought it was, I thought it was a good illustration to end with. And this is what he says. 
talking about the power of the resurrection and how it transforms our lives. He says, a minister was in Italy, and there he saw the grave of a man who had died centuries before, who was an unbeliever and completely against Christianity. But he was a little afraid of it too. So the man had a huge stone slab put over his grave so that he would not have to be raised from the dead just in case there was a resurrection from the dead. He had insignias put all over the slab saying this, I don't want to be raised from the dead. I don't believe in it. That's what he did. Well, evidently when he was buried, an acorn must have fallen into the grave. So 100 years later, the acorn had grown through the grave and split that slab. It was now a tall oak tree towering over the area. And the minister looked at it, and he asked this, if an acorn, which has the power of biological life in it, can split a slab of that magnitude, what can the acorn of God's resurrection do in a person's life? See, that's what we live. You and I live in the power of the resurrection. So no matter what I'm going through, no matter what difficulty, no matter what challenging I'm going through now, I have the resurrection of Jesus Christ that confronts me and that reminds me that there is power in my life. The Spirit of God lives inside of me. If the Spirit of Him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives inside of you, yes, it does, I am a radically different person. So young person, don't give up on your faith simply because you don't know it simply because you don't know all of the answers or have all of the answers. If you're sitting there wrestling with with an issue in your life, don't give up. Continue to come back to the foundation of God's word. Continue to remind yourself of the power of the resurrection and the power of God's word and the power that he has to radically change your life. Don't give up on those foundational truths in the Bible. Contend for the faith by the way that we live, trusting in who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and the fact that one day he's going to return. The imminent return of Jesus is just around the corner. Do you believe that? I mean, look around. By the way, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. In the latter days, some will abandon the faith. What is the characteristic of living in the last days? That some people are going to walk away from their faith. And that is a sad reality of life. Even so come, Lord Jesus. I love that song. Even so, come. Father, we thank you that because we have the authority of your word, because we have the promise that there is life beyond the grave, Father, we can put our ultimate faith and trust in you no matter what we're going through at this particular point in time, Lord. Father, I pray that there's somebody who's struggling, somebody who's going through challenging times right now, that because of the resurrection and because of who you are, Lord, we can persevere. Father, as you were with Paul, you will give us grace and you will give us mercy and you will give us ultimately what we need. You will never leave us and you will never forsake us, Lord. Your presence goes before us. And Father, we rest and we trust in who you are. And Father, I pray that we would be ready for the return of Jesus, that we would watch, we would pray, and we would be alert. And Father, that you would provide opportunities for us to speak the very mystery of Jesus. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.